Good morning, friends. Are we too busy for compassion? That's my message title for today. And as some of you know, my favorite Greek word is splanknitsomai. Splanknitsomai, which is Greek for compassion. So I'm going to talk about that today, not really using the word splanknitsomai so much, but the word compassion. Now, to have compassion means more than just feeling sorry for somebody. Compassion means to suffer with another person. The word has a very strong personal element here. It means to get down where they are in the midst of their need and to suffer with them in the midst of their pain. Now, when Noah Webster years ago published his dictionary, he began his definition of compassion this way, a suffering with another painful sympathy. Key words there. Painful sympathy. I kind of like that, but I find it pretty challenging. But allow me to share an illustration of painful sympathy. It's found in Luke chapter 15, and it's in verse 20. His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now, many of you will know that from the story of the prodigal son. Now, this verse is very significant because it shows us that compassion is more than just a feeling. It's not just an emotion. It's more than feeling sorry for people in trouble. Biblical compassion means that you see the problem, you are moved by the need, you go out to where the problem is, and you get your hands dirty trying to help one person after another get their problem solved and raise them up to a higher level of life. Hope you heard those accented words, see, moved, go, get, raise. Now, we see this in a number of places in the life of Jesus. Matthew 14, 14 tells us that Jesus had compassion on a great crowd following him, so he healed the sick and then fed 5,000. In Matthew 15, 32, it says that Jesus felt the same compassion on another crowd and fed the 4,000. Matthew 20, verse 34, Jesus saw two blind men of Jericho, tells us he was filled with compassion and healed them on the spot. In Mark chapter 1, verses 40 and 41, after the most telling example of what compassion meant, or offers it, Mark writes, A leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. Now here's the most shocking part of that story. Jesus touched a leper. In doing that, he broke all of the customs and rules of that day. And according to the Old Testament, if you had leprosy, you were unclean. People were so scared of lepers that they made them live in a colony away from the rest of society so that they wouldn't contaminate anybody else. But when Jesus saw the man with leprosy, he was so moved that he reached out and touched him. Now, please understand something. For Jesus, compassion was not a feeling. It was a commitment to get involved with hurting people. Real compassion is more than a feeling. Real compassion moves from feeling to action. Now, we're used to thinking of Jesus as the Son of God, and so he was. But I want you to recall Peter's one-sentence summary of Jesus' ministry in Acts 10.38. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now, how's that for an earthly, the earthly life of Jesus? He went about doing good. That's short, concise, right to the point. Now, most of us would not react kindly if someone called us a do-gooder, but the original do-gooder, friends, was our Lord. 
But one day a man came to see him with a curious question. He said, who is my neighbor? In one sense, that question seems to answer itself. I mean, just look around. Your neighbors are all around you. You live on your street or in your court. You go to school with them. You shop at the same stores. You eat at the same restaurants. You drive the same streets they do. You work with your neighbors. You see them when you go to church. Your neighbors are all around you. So that's a that's a simple answer, but buried within it is a deeper theological question. All Jews knew God commanded his people to love him with a whole heart. But, Levit- but Leviticus 19.18 adds on an application, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if loving God is hard, loving your neighbor is equally hard, but in a different way, especially when it, you add those last two words, as yourself. So the question comes, who is my neighbor? In answer to this important question, Jesus told a story that we call the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's found in Luke chapter 10, verses 30 to 37. I'm going to kind of paraphrase it for you today uh, this way. Jesus said there once was a guy on the road from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Thieves jumped him, beat him, stripped him, robbed him, left him for dead. And before too long, a priest An honest-to-goodness minister came by, saw the poor man lying there, and he walked on the other side so he wouldn't have to get involved. I mean, didn't know he'd get to the temple. A few minutes later, a a Levite came. He's a theologian, a student of God's word, a a man who is supposed to know the character of God. When he saw that Levite, uh, when that Levite saw the poor man lying by the side of the road, he crossed to the other side so he wouldn't bother to have to take care of it. He was already late for his weekly Torah discussion. Now, soon after that came a Samaritan. When Jesus says that, he was talking about a despised group of people. The Jews hated the Samaritans. They would never say anything good about them. But Jesus said this hated Samaritan came along and saw that poor man lying there. When he found out that he was still alive, he took his wine and poured it on his wounds. He dressed his wounds, picked the man up, put him on his own donkey, took him to the local hotel, paid the proprietor, stayed the night with the man, The next morning, he took money out of his own pocket, gave it to the innkeeper, saying, if there's more, I'll settle the bill when I come back later. Now, let me make a couple of observations here. First of all, what this Samaritan did was truly above and beyond normal human obligation. I mean, today, if we saw a beaten man lying by the road, we would probably first call 911 and then do what we could while we waited for help. But there were no EMTs on this road winding through the mountains from Jerusalem down to Jericho. If this man were survived, the Samaritan would have to take the whole burden on himself. Either he got involved or the man died. There were no other options. Seen in that light, many of us might have hesitated. And after all, we've got things to do and places to go and people to see. Now, I don't know anyone who isn't, you know, quote, busy these days. I mean, the demands of life lie heavily on all of us. And you can't save the whole world. You just can't. So why did the Samaritan get involved when the priest and the Levite passed by on the other side? You know, it's not a matter of busyness nor a matter of preparation. I suppose one could argue that his background as an outcast made him more likely to respond to human need. And that's possible. It might be true. But Jesus doesn't stress that point. The priest had no idea that morning about the man lying by the side of the road. Neither did the Levite. Neither did the Samaritan. All we know is that his compassion moved him to action. At that particular moment, this particular Samaritan saw this particular man robbed, beaten, left for dead, and he decided to get involved. 
We don't need to ask what he would have done if he had seen ten men lying by the road or if he'd seen a hundred men robbed, beaten, and left for dead. All we know is he cared enough to help the man he actually did see. That's all that matters. Here's my second observation. The Samaritan could not have known what he was getting himself into. Now, I've already noted that few of us would have done what he did. But don't miss the point. When he saw this guy, he evidently didn't do a mental calculation and say, you know, I'm going to end up paying for this man's hotel bill. That would come somewhere down the road. As a practical matter, he couldn't have known what was required. The only decision he had to make was, should I get involved or should I pass by on the other side of the road? The point is, we rarely know what compassion will demand of us, which is why we ought not to be overly calculating before we get involved. Now, sometimes the help we give is going to be brief and easy, and other times we're going to discover the demands are long-lasting and heavy. Now, most of the time, we can't even do it all by ourselves. I mean, even in this story, the Samaritan didn't stick around and try to nurse the man back to health himself. He left him in the care of the innkeeper and then went on his way. No one can do it all, and no one is being asked to do it all. But we can all do something. So we come to the end of the story, Jesus told, which actually ends in a question and then a simple command. Question, which of these was the true neighbor to the man in need? The priest, the Levite, the Samaritan? Well, tell this story to little kids anywhere in the world and hands will shoot up all over the room. It's the Samaritan. It's a good answer. But then comes the application. Go and do likewise. You see, in the story Jesus told, the real question is not who is my neighbor, but rather whose neighbor will I be to those I meet today? The onus is always on me. It's always on you, not on those in need. In the story Jesus told, it's not about the man in need. It's about those who had a chance to help and didn't, and the one man who did what he could, even though he could have walked away. Compassion, you see, is not something you talk about. Compassion is something you do. If you want your neighborhood to be changed, you get involved in it. If your neighborhood could be changed, but you have to do it the hard way, the slow way, the quiet way, the unseen, the difficult way. But in God's economy, that's the only way it works. Now, let me end by giving you three words of application here. Here's application number one. We need to pray aggressively. History tells us that every revival has been preceded by fervent, united prayer. The spiritual and moral decay in our culture has brought us to a point of desperation, and now our desperation has become our greatest ally. And when we become desperate, we will seek the Lord. My question is, are you, am I, desperate enough to start praying? We need to have more people praying aggressively because we're living in a sea of hurting people. Application number two, we need to be radically personal. And may I here suggest one simple step. Many of us would like a personal ministry, but we don't know where to begin. Well, friends, start with the people in your life who need the help only you can give. Now, some of them just need a word of encouragement, and you're the only one who can give them that word. Some of them are staggering beneath a heavy load, and you're the only one who can lift that burden from their shoulders. Some of them are about to quit, and you're the only one that can keep them in the race. Some of them have been hit with an incredible string of trials, and you're the only one that can help keep them going. All I'm saying is those people are all around you. They're all around me. Our only problem is that sometimes we don't see them. That leads me to application number three. Pray that God will give you missionary eyes. 
Those are eyes that see the real needs of the people you meet. Pray that God will bring at least one person across your path who needs the help only you can give. Well, that's a prayer God will answer. For there are folks all around you who are just barely making it. You see them where you work, you see them where you live, you see them where you hang out in coffee shops or McDonald's or wherever you go. These are your aging parents, these are other family members. I mean, your children go to school with them. They're out there waiting for somebody to give them help. God has helped us for a purpose, that we might take what we have received and share it with those who desperately need it. How do you change the world? Not through programs and not even through good preaching done at a distance. You change the world one heart at a time, one life at a time. Compassion that isn't personal isn't compassion. God help us to be men and women of compassion, to reach out and touch a hurting world in Jesus' name. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, feel the compassion. God bless. Talk to you soon.